Don't hide who you are. Be honest. If you don't know something, say, I don't know. So people really know where you stand and where you're coming from. To me, that's an important quality that I think kept me where I am. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast, featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions' own Deborah Channel. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, Deborah digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right. Hello, Let's everyone, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm Deborah Channel, Editorial and Research Director here at Smart Energy Decisions, and now your host of Smart Energy Voices podcast. Today, we're sharing a panel that has become a really important pillar of Smart Energy Decisions, and it's our WISE program, otherwise known as Women in Smart Energy. We're committed to shining a light on women in our industry with our annual WISE Awards, This is a panel discussion featuring some of our winners as they tell us about their paths in energy and sustainability, their achievements, and their continuing growth as women in the energy industry. So let's welcome Kulsum Khan, Energy Efficiency Manager at Conjabec Inc., Kate Peterson, V2X Program Manager at General Motors, and Ibi Yolis, Vice President of Campus Planning and Facilities at Pace University. I was honored to share the stage with these women at our events, so I'm excited to share this episode with you. I want to dive right in on the importance of collaboration. That's our first topic. And Katie of General Motors is our rising star. Congratulations. She won for an example of collaboration in her work, putting together multiple automakers to launch two unique managed charging programs. So tell us a little bit about the program and your work. Yeah, so General Motors, Honda, Ford, there's a lot of different collaborators in the OEM space that are recognizing that there is a need to offset the incoming EV loads that are coming with all of our new portfolios. So we're starting to work with utilities across the country, including DTE and SMUD in Sacramento and DTEs in Michigan, to develop demand charge management programs to offset the load that some of the EVs will have by controlling the charge schedules to happen at off-peak times with the grid. This is a super new concept to both the utilities and to the internal OEMs as well. So it's taken a lot of just collaboration with all of these different entities kind of coming together in this new space. It's a lot of internal education as well as external. And what I found that leads to the most fruitful collaboration is honestly, vulnerability. It's being able to come to the table, yes, with all the knowledge that you've had, technically, you know, marketing tactics, et cetera, but being able to be the one in the room to say, you know what, guys, can we step back? Can we take a pause? I'm not fully clear on what we're doing right now or what we're talking about. I need like two seconds to just realign and then we can keep pushing forward. That opens up the space and gives everyone the chance to kind of take a deep breath and recognize, you know, what we're working towards and gives everyone a space to ask questions that they might have been a little hesitant to ask in the moment or give them the space to ask the questions that they might have thought, okay, maybe I can just figure that out on my own and then not really lead to any fruitful answers. So 
those are the most productive meetings that I've had is being able to be vulnerable, step back and say, hey, can we all realign? I'd like to just make sure that I know what's going on here. I love that response. You know, we talk about being prepared as being one of the most important things for women, but for men, and a lot of the advice we're giving women, guys, you can take it too. Being prepared is table stakes. You need to walk in being as prepared as you can, but you also, the vulnerability to say, I need to take a step back, I need to, I need some help with this, or I need to understand this better, is a great skill, and uh, it's something very important to be able to do. So thank you for sharing that. And Ibi, on the subject of uh, collaboration, continuing on that, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your opinions on that? I find that people collaborate in a very different way. They have different levels of what settings they feel more comfortable of sharing ideas. Some people feel more comfortable writing, share their ideas through an email or a memo. Some people feel very comfortable in a large group setting to share their idea and, and speak up. I find sometimes that at least the women I interact with, they shy away from these larger events. So we trying to create atmospheres, whether it's one-on-one or having a smaller group meeting or having even a lunch meeting so we could deep dive into what some of those ideas and, and get the full scope of their opinion. And we want to make sure everybody, we hear everybody's voice. Any project could really benefit from hearing everybody's perspective. So I guess the phrase would be meeting people where they are. Yes. I think that's important as well. And Kalsum, you used the phrase yesterday, which I love, getting away from a silo mentality. Yeah. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I've dealt with this a lot in all the work that I've done, like my work experience so far. So I think people are familiar with the silo mentality that we, we kind of go through and we struggle with in our job. So everybody just kind of wants to do their own task and just focus on your own job and sometimes just kind of forget that, you know, hey, it's important to also communicate even your successes and wins to other people and let them know what you're working on. Because sometimes um, a lot of the people I work with, they actually learn from the work I'm doing and they actually are happy that I share my updates or what I'm working on with them. So that's kind of me pushing myself out of my comfort zone by just kind of pushing myself out of that silo that I put myself in sometimes. And it's always like constantly, like I'm, I'm consciously reminding myself to like do that, you know, to push myself out of that. Um, yeah, and that's, that's what makes me think of the collaboration, like mm-hmm. you said, Deborah. Right, and going outside of your comfort zone, that's another point. Yeah. That was, I'll give an example. I'm a star now, I'm on stage, but <laughs> John Faella four or five years ago had to pretty much push me out here to do it. Still not my favorite thing, but I appreciate it. Uh, it's kind of fun to be up here in front of you, but it's something I never would have thought to do on my own. So doing something outside of the box for you, outside of the comfort zone, is always a good thing to try. And if it doesn't work, you'll try something else. Mm-hmm. That's my two cents for today. We came up with a phrase, the allowable path. And the way I want to frame this is, you know, coming into sustainability, we talked a lot about this last year, what everybody's paths were. How did they get into this business? And at that point, it was, you know, coming through sustainability, through marketing, through certain education programs, or on the other side, through engineering. But we've got a couple of different paths on stage with us today. And I wanted uh, to start with Ibby. Tell us how you came to uh, be in this industry. So I study architecture, and I studied my studies in Hungary, and women were kind of discouraged for that profession. Then I 
came into the United States, which I saw more women getting involved with architecture. The construction industry is still, even today, predominantly male-oriented. So I, I got involved with the construction industry during my tenure working in architecture firms. Then I transferred into the owner side, working in higher educational institutions. And being on the owner side, I advanced my career, got involved with facilities, design and construction, campus planning. When I got to the campus planning stage, you realize the responsibilities that really lays on you. So it's not just the building industry, you know, a very wasteful industry. How do you balance of what you're building and necessary building construction projects, the energy consumption? I oversee also facilities, so how do you curtail that? And it was a necessary part to really look at sustainability and resiliency and fold them into a more master plan, but strategic plan for the university because we are there for a long run we usually have plans, not five, 10 years, but sometimes 20, 30, 50 years. So we want to make sure that we make the right decisions as far as our energy and sustainability goes, because that folds into the overall success of all of our projects and the success of the university. Mm-hmm. Interesting, the architecture background. Marinella Franklin, I think, is probably out here somewhere. She did one of the sessions yesterday. There she is. Hi. Uh, she's University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. She also comes from an architect's background. And uh, we talked a little bit about the way your brain works a little differently or you're organized <laughs> a little bit differently to be able to take on some of these tasks now in energy and sustainability. Yeah, in generally, I think... Uh, that's just my experience. Architects deal with a lot of time with different consultants. They are organized and coordinate different vendors. They also oversee and, and supervise sometimes construction projects. So they have a larger view of what's happening in a project and how to get things done. So I think that skill level is very beneficial when we talk about some of these larger energy and sometimes quite complex projects. Thank you for that. And Katie, I want to go back to you. GM's got some programs in terms of developing talent and moving them along. Why don't you tell us about that? So when I joined GM, I was put into a rotational program. I was hired into the vehicle engineering space. And as I was working in that space, I realized that there's this whole other org at GM that focuses on sustainability. And after talking with a manager there, I got really excited about the space and wanted to go and see if I could do one of those rotations in that sustainability space, which doesn't sound like a big jump, but I was hired in the vehicle engineering space. They invested in me. They expected to have me working and contributing to that space full time. So when I went to my manager and asked if I could do like an external rotation into the sustainability space, I was almost nervous and expected him to say, no, you know, you got to stay on this path. But I was pleasantly surprised. He He encouraged me to go for it and liked that I had the initiative to speak with the other manager and find, you know, a business case for me to be there, that there was work for me to do and they needed help in that space. And because I I did that rotation, I actually learned about GM Energy, which is the subgroup at GM that I work for. And now I'm in the role that I'm in today because I was able to get that exposure and that experience in that space. So back to the allowable path point, I think 
for leaders out there. Waiting to see if your employees have that initiative and drive to find those new spaces is great. But if you can encourage that and open that doorway for them and create that allowable path to give them new experiences, knowing that it's going to be investing further in your company's future, maybe not necessarily in your specific group's function, it can just make a huge jump for, for both that individual and the company. I'm still here at GM, so <laughs> didn't leave mm-hmm. after I was blocked. So. Right. It's a great way to keep talent within the company. When you have somebody that's good, you want to find the best spot for them. Right. So that's a great program. And tagging onto something you just said, what happens, Kalsum, when there's not an allowable path? Then you just kind of, <laughs> I was just going to say, you have to fight your way through and, and make that path for yourself. And that's kind of what happened with me because I was telling Evie last night that I'm also from a construction background. I studied engineering in school. I did do some studies on sustainable energy when I was in school, so I always had that interest in me to kind of look at this field, but I just landed into construction, engineering, maintenance, worked for a few years in that. And then um, in my last company, what happened was, but you actually had a rotational program. We didn't have anything like that, but I kind of created it for myself. (laughs) So um, there was a position open and and the person that was in the position left and I, they were gonna get rid of the position. It was a sustainability manager position. Mm -hmm. And I just went and I said, I'm going to take it on. Like, I want to do that job as well as my current maintenance job. Mm -hmm. So I was doing two roles at the same time. I kind of like just trying it out to see, you know, and showing them that I could do it. And it worked. Like, my manager saw my performance. It worked for me. And then I fully transitioned into the sustainability role after. So I kind of pulled it in and then I just pulled myself into that role after. But that wasn't an allowable path. I had to kind of make that path for myself, like as Mm -hmm. an exception. And then when I joined Conjib Beck, this role was created for me. (laughs) Like, like it was a role from scratch. There was no background. Like I said, I was given like a blank slate to work with, um, create my own energy strategy, sustainability um, strategy going forward. Like, it was definitely a lot of effort, and I'm still kind of working on it. I'm still in the process. But going back, like, again, to the allowable path point, Sometimes, yeah, you have to kind of just fight for the opportunities. And I'm always saying to everybody, if you get opportunities like that, like, just say yes. You know, just just <laughs> see where it takes you. And for me, it worked for my career. So right. Say yes and then work really hard to prove yourself. Yeah. Again, that's a given. <laughs> but that's terrific. Yeah. And I want to stay with you for a minute. I want to move to the topic of mentorship. Because yeah. Kalsum won the Mentorship Award. And I have to say, when we were looking at the nomination forms that came in, somebody looked at it and said, she can't be a mentor, she's too young. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I want you to tell us a little bit, first of all, about the, about the mentorship program that yeah. you're involved with. So at Conjibek, we actually started this program about two years ago. It's called the um, Energy Ambassador Program. What we do is we have, uh, we're all across Canada, across like five provinces. So sometimes it's hard for all of us to be in the same place. And especially me going to each site and managing my projects, initiatives, it's tough. So what we did was we basically did this program allows for an ambassador for each site who works with me directly and kind of, I kind of like mentor them coach them and kind of involve them, let them participate in my like initiatives and projects. So I call them like my boots on the ground, you know, Mm -hmm. they're my eyes and ears. The guys on the floor know their people better than even me. I would go and talk to them, but you know, I'm, I'm a corporate employee, but those guys live and breathe the sites air every day. So they know their sites inside out. So that's what the program is for. It really kind of keeps us all like kind of working together towards the same goal. It also helps with transforming our energy culture 
and promoting that culture with our employees, it's really good for that. And so far, there's really positive feedback that I'm getting from everybody. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great program to have. I would say for everybody, if you don't have something like that, my program is really energy focused, but this could be applicable for different things, you know, right in the company. Yeah. Right. And what I like about that a lot is, you know, we all have energy. We're setting goals and sometimes we're telling the outside world and we're not telling the inside world. We're not telling our own, you know, corporations and employees and having a program like this where they're actually involved on it and they have a stake in it, yep. I think is really good. Yep. It really, it elevates uh, the importance of energy and sustainability. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And I want to continue a little bit on, on the idea of mentorship. And Ibi, we talked a little bit about formal versus informal, structured versus not structured. And uh, talk a little bit about that. I've had a benefit of having some formal structured mentorship that was organized by an organization, an institution where I worked for. I greatly benefited for that. I recommend for everybody whose company offers these mentorship programs to take advantage of it. I think it's a great way of passing down information, whether it's technical information or historical information that the company has to the younger generations. It's improved retention in a lot of the organization. It's been proven. But there's also a non-structured mentorship that's very valuable. And sometimes that happens when you meet someone and there are some common goal or common respect for each other. It could be a father-in-law who's mentoring you. And there's great benefits for that. And this could go on for years and years. There's certainly national programs that also specifically gear towards women mentoring. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. We could talk about some of those organizations also mm-hmm. that I think it's benefit. But I think women need good role models that they could look up to. There's benefit for both sides, the mentors and the mentees. Mentors can also learn from the mentees some important aspects that will happen in their career or in their leadership. So take advantage if you can, as much as you can. Let me ask the audience, how many of you are in uh, organizations that have formal mentorship programs? Okay, that's not a bad amount. How many of you are involved in informal mentorship? Wow, okay, that's impressive. I like that a lot. Very good. Okay, we're preaching to the choir a little bit here. (laughs) Last year on our stage, we talked about mentorship in all directions. And it was Krishona Armwood, who we just loved, uh, from the GSA. And she was saying, you're mentoring somebody, you're learning from the people you mentor. You know, you're mentoring, you're being mentored. You're looking for people that look like you. You're looking for people that don't look like you. It's a 360-degree process. That's how she described it. And Kalsum, you've had a little experience in mentorship in some different directions. Yeah, I I was just thinking about this yesterday. So when we think of mentorship, you kind of think, oh, there's some person with experience, and then they're mentoring somebody who has less experience, right? But what I've seen sometimes happen with me is, because I, like I said, I say yes to everything. I get involved with so many things. I'm always like learning new things. Um, sometimes I'm teaching things to people who are, you know, my management, my, my seniors, and they have many, many years of experience, but something comes across the table and they're like, oh, this is brand new information, brand new technology. And, and I'm, I'm teaching them something new and, and they feel inspired by me. So it could go 
either way, you know, <laughs> sometimes like informal or formal mentorship, it could be both ways. So that's kind of going beyond the point of mentorship in all directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. And Katie, we talked a little bit about structured formal versus informal, and you've got some pros and cons to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I've had both, which is the luxury of being at a company that offers a formal structured program several, in fact. And I've been able to kind of figure out which one I like the most. I do resonate better with the ones that form a little more organically, the kind of unstructured. I think that having the shared experience allows these conversations to happen a bit more quickly than a structured formal agreement. You know, when you first sit down to a mentor that you're assigned to, you have to break the ice a little bit and and figure out, you know, what's their MO? You don't know as much about them. And I think with the structured you can also sometimes be, like I've been paired with another mentee before to one mentor. I didn't like that as much. I didn't, it felt more like it was just us talking about, you know, GM the company and, and recent changes as opposed to direct career conversations and speaking how I can grow my career path, that mentor's career path and their journey and, and where they've gotten to. So yeah, pros and cons of both. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm not trying to, you know, sell only the organic ones. I think that the structured ones are also a great way to be able to get out of your space. You know, that the organic ones grow because you've been working with that person or you've networked with someone who has worked with them. So they're kind of more closely aligned with the work that you are working on. But the structured ones can pair you with someone completely outside of your organization. So I've been able to learn about materials at GM, other vehicle engineering sectors at GM, because I've been paired with these people and have been able to learn about that career path and whether or not I'd want to branch into it. So I think pros and cons to both just depends on what kind of conversation you want to have, whether it's branching out from where you've, you've been in or if you want to hone the skill that you're, you're currently working on. Thank you. And I want to turn now to the topic of leadership. And I want to give a shout out to Jackie Buck with Diversified Communications. She's here somewhere. She has been a terrific colleague in putting together the WISE program for this year. And what I found out is that in her past life, she worked at a nonprofit that was teaching doctors how to be leaders. And they found, and blame Jackie if you don't agree with this, women are better leaders than men. And the reason for that, and Jackie's hiding under a table somewhere. Thank you. All right. Yeah, I will go for that. And the reasons were some of what we're calling softer skills. They're more empathetic. They're more easily approachable. They're less confrontational, which sometimes good, sometimes bad. So I want to talk a little bit about the skills needed to rise to leadership. So even the ones not specifically related to energy and hard skills versus soft skills. Ibiolas of Pace University is our winner for the Leadership Award. So I want to talk about the importance of proving your skills for leadership and uh, having the confidence to lead. Where does that come from? Well, is knowing your materials is definitely a confidence builder that you could stand up in any kind of forum and rely on knowledge. So that, that's one confidence builder. Exposing yourself in multiple occasions, like you mentioned, Deborah, mm-hmm. the first time is always a little scary. <laughs> but as you're exposing yourself to different events, different occasions, it relaxes you, and I think it builds your confidence. And I think listening skills is a really important that perhaps goes underrated. There's a lot of communication, a lot of different communications that leaders and everybody utilizes, but I think the real active listening skills are 
what I feel I pride myself as one of my best qualities as a leader. Listening what your leaders or those who you're trying to get a project approved, what's important to them, how to present something to them that makes sure they get your approval. What's important, I work in a university, what's important to the students. So certain projects, I need to build it from bottom up. What are some of the projects that may be important to the board members of a university? And then when we build those projects, how can our president benefit from that? So I think listening skills and being true to yourself of who you are. Don't hide who you are. Be honest. If you don't know something, say, I don't know. (laughs) What is that? So people really know where you stand and where you're coming from. To me, that's an important quality that I think got me where I am today. I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong where it got her. Pace University embarked on a behavioral energy conservation program, which has posted an 18% reduction in energy use over five years under IBI's leadership. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Very good accomplishment. Yes, definitely. Okay. So we're a little limited on time. I want to, all right, this is where we're going to vent a little bit, just a little bit. How many women in the audience have been assigned what they feel are menial tasks that probably shouldn't have been assigned to them, that are not assigned to men? Let's say that. Yeah, we got hands going up there. Okay. Katie, let's talk, let's go to you for this one. What's uh, going on or what has gone on in your world? Yeah, this term called invisible load that people will talk about that women have at the home. They're often expected to do household chores or you know, cooking or cleaning or shuttling the kids to school. And it's this load that you know, you're not paid for and you often don't get credit for. The same, unfortunately, translates to the workplace. We're not doing household chores there, obviously. But a lot of the time, I have found, and I know other women have talked to me about being assigned menial tasks or tasks that aren't necessarily career drivers. It's being asked to take notes at the meeting or schedule a meeting or send a follow-up email. It's tasks that no one really wants to do because it's kind of just something that has to be done. It's, it's kind of the necessary evil, but it's not necessarily a decision maker or anything that's going to contribute to large career growth. And what I have found as a young woman in the space is I want to say yes. I want to act and, and show that I'm driven and I'm available and I'm, I'm helpful in any capacity. But I find the more I say yes to these tasks, instead of you know, being called into the room to make decisions and called into the room to take the notes and do more of those kind of menial tasks. So I've kind of realized that I need to say no to some things, but it's hard because I don't want to be seen as aggressive or well, you might yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gonna talk about that later, but you know, bossy woman. So I've kind of learned to either joke about it, try to laugh it off, or what I like the most is trying to disseminate the load a little bit. You know, if someone assigns me with a task during a meeting, then I'll say, all right, yeah, I'll take the notes during this meeting, but I'll have Connor send out the follow-up meeting or make sure that there is someone else that is sharing the burden so that even if it's all in my head, at least I don't think that I'm just there to be the secretary, for example. And Kalsum, you had a phrase, I can't say it, but she can. What do you sometimes get called or think you're called? <laughs> so, <laughs> like a bossy beep. <laughs> I'll say, it's a like, bossy bitch. Yeah. 
Kalsum's going to be an honorary New Yorker by the end of this. She's going to be able to say this stuff. It's hard to avoid. You don't want to be labeled. You don't want to, as Katie said, you don't want to be seen as aggressive. But there's, got, there's a fine line. And the reason we're talking about this a little bit, I want the men and some of the women in the audience to be aware and to make space and to make sure you're not unduly giving some of these chores unfairly. I hope you can tell from that talk that WISE is a mission near and dear to my heart. It grew organically from conversations with remarkable women in our community. And I look forward to seeing these women continue to shine and grow in this industry. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for tuning into this podcast and being part of Smart Energy Decisions. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn about how you can become part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share these conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, and all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.